Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Hello darkness, my old friend. We're back with another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the number one online sports book for any and all gamblers, for any and all betting desires, whether it's playoff baseball, college football, NFL, basketball's about to start back up, whatever it is, you can find the lines on MyBookie.ag. They have the best line of prop bets in the business. User interface, super easy. Uh Super knowledgeable staff. If you ever have a question, they're very helpful. You can find out whatever you need to know, uh, but it's very easy to see what lines you're talking about. All the lines are as up-to-date as humanly possible. And if you use our promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, they're going to give you a 1,000% or they're going to give you a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. They're going to give you a 1,000% match. That would be crazy. But they will match your, your initial deposit up to $1,000. MyBookie.ag, number one place to go. For any and all gambling needs. All right, Doc. I was not wanting to do this episode. Um, let's just get it out there. Atlanta is now home to yet another epic collapse. Um, I'm not going to give any credit to the Cardinals, though. Not not a bit. Um, as I mentioned before this series started, if the Braves were to lose, it would be 100% on the Braves, and you can take a look at the lineup and their production, and you can see why it is that the Braves are now sitting at home. Yeah, I I am uh, experiencing a, a fairly massive uh, wave of sadness right now. Uh, the whole thing was it, it was so evenly matched for the first couple of games. Like even even the games that the Braves wound up shooting themselves in the foot. This is uh, game one, for instance, the the bullpen implosion. And then the offense came back and they made it way closer than it should have been. And then, you know, the first four games were really so close and then just got absolutely beat to death before they even had the chance to bat yesterday. Um, It was a really, really bittersweet ending to an otherwise pretty great and good feeling season. And you're right. they, They wound up beating themselves a lot. They lost two games they should have won, and they won two games they should have lost. And then in game five, they, they absolutely should have lost that one. So uh, how are you feeling today now that you've had approximately, uh, you know, say 16 hours or so to deal with the loss? Uh, I still feel pretty horrible. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> the, like, 
you said that they were evenly matched, and that's part of my problem, is these were not evenly matched teams. Like, these games should not have been evenly matched. The only reason they were evenly matched is because, like, 70% of your order decided to go on vacation and forget that they had October baseball to play. And if you can point to one specific thing, it was very early on, but Chris Martin and his oblique injury before he even had a chance to throw a competitive pitch in the game, you know, that just kind of suddenly really tweaked everything. If you'd known that he was, uh, he was going to wind up getting hurt, you leave freed in the game and then maybe just it changes everything. And then with the roster, uh, having to, you know, Freed's role changed, and then they brought in Julio to replace Martin, and, and the whole, that sent a really big ripple early on. And because of the the ripple that it sent in game one, where it's, everybody's just like, okay, we'll, we'll figure out the long-term repercussions of this. Afterwards, you know, we just have to deal with something now. It was like you could feel momentum shifting in the Cardinals' favor. And, and e- even if the teams aren't evenly matched, I mean, the playoffs are such a weird animal. You look at how long the season is. You got six weeks of spring training. You have six months of a regular season. And then it still winds up coming down to winner take all in three of the four playoff series here. So, uh, man, it's a heartbreaker. It's, it, I mean, and I, I usually get kind of dinged a little bit. Everybody's like, you know, you try and paint things in positive light that aren't necessarily positive. Well, I'm not really going to try and do that here because it's like there's not much positive to paint on this there's yeah there's really not like the braves they played 162 games the braves were definitively better than the cardinals against better competition than the cardinals and yeah you you get into this and by the way what you brought up about chris martin is absolutely correct i actually thought you know you can argue that the braves kind of shot themselves in the foot by only uh, starting soroka one time in the series and you can make that argument uh, I certainly would have started uh, Soroka over Keuchel, but I understand the thought process of starting Keuchel twice. It's not Snit's fault that Keuchel decided he didn't feel like pitching well in either game, um, but that's that's what Keuchel was brought in to do, and it was a smart play when you're just look Analytically, it was a smart play because you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at uh, the trends, and the trends are Soroka is dominant on the road, not so much at home. Now, granted, in the playoffs, I kind of want my best pitcher to pitch the most, and that didn't happen in this one. But for the most part, Sticker had a, a good managerial series. And you can talk about, oh, well, he wouldn't move Freddie or Marquecas down. Well, who's he going to put in their place? Like, it's not like it was just those two who weren't hitting. It was literally three, four, five, six, and seven. Like, there were three members of the lineup who were hitting, and Ozzy was not hitting for like half the series. For like. The only two players that really consistently hit for, throughout the length of the series were Acuna and Dansby. It's hard to build a lineup around that. Um, the, that that's what drives me the most crazy. This stat might be the one that drives me the most insane. Ronald Acuna on base 13 times. One run scored. And he had to drive himself in. Like, that can't happen. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was... Uh you can point to the Martin thing as, as being like kind of the, the first thing that set it in motion. But also if you look at game four bases loaded in the sixth bases loaded in the seventh, when Hechevarria hit that fly ball, I audibly gasped. I'm like, Oh my so God, did I. it's about to be seven, three. I thought he got yeah. it off the bat. Oh, me too. Absolutely. And, uh, and then in the ninth Acuna lead off double and score well, the eighth, he had a lead, uh, the eighth, he had a lead off triple runner yeah. on third, but no out. 
Yeah, and and they couldn't push it across. And then you can ju- you can see it coming from a mile away. As soon as they don't score, you're like, well, gee, I wonder if this is going to come back to haunt us. But as, as it pertains to the Soroka thing, I, I'm with you. Like, I, that's going to be the talking point that everybody goes to. It's like, oh, you should have started Soroka over Keichel. Keichel is a Cy Young winner who has got years of big game experience. This is exactly why you sign him. And that also uh, kind of looks the other way on the fact that Soroka really hadn't been great towards the end of the season. He was dealing with some legit fatigue. Now, don't be fooled by the fact that he was great in game three. You're right. Starting Keichel game one, that was the right call. Game four, you can you can say that was a little bit of a toss up to whether or not they should have gone with Julio, gone with Fulte on shorter rest, done a bullpen game, whatever. Uh, but it tr- truth is, you can point to a million different reasons why it didn't wind up working, but none of them matter. You know what I mean? Like we can point the finger all day long at you know Acuna didn't hustle, Freddie called him out Freddie did, I mean it all it's on it's all on everybody because nobody in that locker room won nobody did enough individually nobody did enough as a team um but I <laughs> losing 13 to 1 is bad okay but when I look at this through the lens of what happened to the Dodgers I would so much rather have what happened to the Braves happen instead of what happened with the Dodgers because it was like 20 pitches in I'm like I'm going to turn the game off. I'm going to go read a book. I'm going to go play my guitar. I'm going to go do a million different things right now, as opposed to Dodgers fans who were up three, nothing in the sixth inning, their bullpen blew it. And then Howie Kendrick hit a grand slam in extra innings of game five. I mean, like it is, that's the type of stuff of nightmares, you know, that's it's embarrassing and disappointing for both teams. But as far as my own personal nerves, I'll take the way we lost every day because then it was it was so evenly matched till that last one you can just say okay well we got outclassed the dodgers they imploded so and they i don't know it's weird and this is this is my coping mechanism and i'm already going back on i'm not going to try and dress this up in in some some happy way but yeah i'm going to say you're coping a little bit because like there's no reason that the brave should have been in that situation like that's that's the part that's going to bother me the most like the brave and people are going to say to me that well the better team did win because you played five games to prove who was a better team. That's not true at all. If you were to look position by position, pitcher by pitcher, record by record, opponent by opponent, the Braves were a far superior team talent wise to the St. Louis Cardinals. And for whatever reason, like seventy percent of the offense didn't show up. Freddie Freeman, that's got to be the worst series of his entire career, right? Like. I don't know. I did not think that it was possible for Freddie to have a series as bad as that is. And you can point to the injury, but it's not just the hitting that I'm talking about. And he was absolutely dreadful. If it weren't for that one home run, like he would have had pitcher numbers for that series. Um, I'm talking about defensively. There were so many defensive mistakes by Freddie that, but that don't happen. And that aren't a cause of an injury that just for whatever reason, like, like the throw in game four, where Marquecas and his noodle arm threw to first base trying to double off a runner. Now, it wasn't a strong throw, and it wasn't a great throw, but the runner was so far away that had Freddie actually straddled the bag correctly and been on the backside of the bag instead of towards home plate, that's an easy out. The ball doesn't hit the doesn't hit Tommy Edmond, and Edmond doesn't end up at second. Like, that's an easy thing. I have no idea what Freddie was thinking on that play. Now, I, I would bet you if you were to ask Freddie what he was thinking, he would tell you, no idea. Like, that 
that kind of stuff is what I'm talking about. And it all added up to that was a rough, rough series for Freddie. It was. And we got to go ahead and just get this out in the open. Okay. After the game one, the Acuna thing and Freddie made some comments after the game. They can be interpreted any number of ways. But a lot of people seem to jump on, and, and I think that you and I are on, on different different sides of this, and everybody's like, you know, Freddie jumped on Ronald, and then he stopped hitting, or whatever. Like, he shouldn't run his mouth if he's not going to be able to back it up with his play. I mean, they're unrelated. You know what I mean? Like, should Acuna have run? Well, I mean, of course he could have. It's it's the playoffs, and even, even if it's a home run, then until it's over the wall, you're supposed to, that's just what you do. Every single person on the team was hustling. And and then when your best guy's not, it's just, it's a weird look. So was Freddie within his rights to say something about that? Sure. Because it had happened before. And the whole point last time was, you know, you bench him now. So to like get into his head. So something like this doesn't happen in the playoffs. And it's literally game one. And it happens in the playoffs. But then there's people that rolled that forward talking into, you know, Freddie Freeman is, you know, he can't back it up. And now he talked crap about Ronald and now he's not hitting and it's his fault. And Freddie ruined the series. Freddie did not ruin the series. But like these two things can be unrelated. It's fine. But like clearly and and clearly he was hurt. Absolutely. Clearly, he's not going to come out and say, oh, my elbow. (laughs) This thing is screwed because then it gets into everybody else on the team's head. And it's like, oh, this our leader is broken or whatever. And, uh, you know, clearly he was going through it. He wound up getting two hits in game five, which, you know, too little too late. But this was the longest prolonged cold streak of Freddie's entire career. And it just couldn't have come at a worse time. But if he's not hitting and then you've got Donaldson, Marquecas, Joyce, and then Duvall for game five um, and McCann hitting behind him then you can look past that. But none of them were hitting either. Like, it was bad on Freddie, and everybody's going to pin the loss on him. But, like, this kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, we can go around, we can point the finger and have blame on everybody if we want. But truthfully, in the end, it really doesn't matter because all of the Braves are at home now. Well, I will say that Freddie Freeman was the worst player on your team in this series. Sure. Um, And not really all that close. Like, you, you can't make those type of, of mistakes offensively and defensively like that that cannot happen and it definitely can't happen from your franchise player or your former franchise player we all know Ronald Acuna is the franchise player uh, but for whatever reason like we keep because Freddie's been here so long and went through so much we keep saying that like it's Freddie's team Ronald's the franchise guy Freddie is the face uh, but for whatever reason, Freddie is far too talented for this to happen over the course of a whole season. And I know he got into his own head. Uh, we'll talk about the Acuna thing in a second because I'm really very annoyed about the whole situation. Um, and my 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 bigger overall point on Freddie here is if he is hurt, like we all know he's hurt. He's not saying he's hurt. Oh, no, I feel fine. It's just on me. See, one number one, that's scarier to me. Like if he's not hurt, that's even more frightening. Um Number two, if you're that hurt that you can't even play marginal defense, at that point you're being selfish because you don't want to sit. At that point, you're not in the best situation to help your team win. So that's when you actually need to be honest. That's what being the ultimate team player would be about. 
Um, I'm not. I'm not just trying to kill Freddie. I promise you guys. I still love Freddie Freeman. Um, but this was a very bad series for him, and he's going to have a long time to think about this series. Now, the other thing, Doc. Do you remember way back in May what I said would be the biggest problem for this baseball team? Well, it depends on when in May, because I remember you and I talking about a lot of problems that this team had at the time. Can you be a little bit more specific? I wrote an article on it. Mm. Yes, talking about the effects of playing every single every single player, every single inning of every single game. Yeah, I right. do remember that. Yeah, and when you take a look at which players did not show up, not just in this series, but also for like the entire month of September. Uh, Freddie... Had a horrible September all the way into October. Josh Donaldson really fell off. The power went away in September. Had a horrible October. Uh, Nick Markakis came back from injury. Had like a three-game stretch where he was back to good and then horrible. Uh, those are those guys are all guys who played far more innings than they should have. Now, Markakis, you could say, should have been more well-rested because, it, because of the injury. But he'd already been playing... A ridiculous amount before then. Like the only guys that showed up and performed were the guys that were under twenty five. Like everybody that was over twenty five in this series basically took the series off. Brian McCann, Tyler Flowers didn't do anything, but he barely got in the game, so I can't blame Tyler for that one. But uh, like most of your players, like let's let's think and go players who did something good in this series offensively. Acuna twenty one, Albies twenty two, Dansby twenty four twenty five, yeah. Uh, let's see, Duvall barely played, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> and we 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 have talked about this to, to not be uh, beat this beat this dead horse. I mean, the, the uh, when you have a, a bench that's somewhat versatile, you know, the, and Camargo sucking for a lot of the year probably played some of a role in the fact that some of these guys weren't getting like a rotating days off because if you are you want to be able to plug in a guy that's going to be able to perform as opposed to just having it be like well freddie's getting the day off and first base is going to wind up being a black hole today or or whatever because camargo you know he had like a 12 at bat sample in september where he looked fantastic but he really didn't look too good outside of that um it's weird and and i don't know if um if something like that is going to wind up changing for next year, unless somebody sits down with Snit and says, look, man, we have another year's worth of evidence to where you can't run the guys ragged because you kind of see what happens. You know, when, even when you are the better team, then, you know, if you're exhausted, you're not performing like yourself and that kind of loses the competitive advantage. So, I mean, I still, I still like Snit and, and like, like you said, I mean, he, he, this was one of the best managerial series you've ever seen him have. But when he's dealing with guys that are completely ragged out, I mean, it doesn't really give him a lot of options, even for it doesn't matter how good the decisions that you're making are. No, and and we talked about that. You and I talked about that off air. <coughs> Excuse me. I did say to, to Doc while we were talking on the phone that I thought that this was – I thought Snicker managed in the postseason better than he did in the regular season. It's just in the regular season, the bats would make up for it, and they'd score eight runs when he would make a dumb decision. Here, that didn't happen. And I know game fives are happening everywhere in the postseason, and I guess we should talk about those a little bit because there's a lot of fun. But I, the other thing that we have to touch on is the Acuna Gate thing, the Hustle Gate, as it's being called. By the way, why do we call everything Gate? Like, why is there a Gate for everything? I don't know. Um, well, the, the hotel that they uh, that the whole Nixon thing took place at was, uh, was the Watergate Hotel. 
but everybody just took to adding gate to everything. If Watergate happened today, it'd be called Watergate gate. <laughs> That's true. Um, but the play that everybody knows by this point, the infamous play, Acuna hits one, was it in the seventh inning of game one? Hits a moonshot that he thinks is going to be gone. So he's jogging, admiring, bounces off the wall. He's held to a single instead of a double. And holy hell, did the floodgates open. Um, <laughs> you've got when, <laughs> yeah. when he eventually gets to second and he gets doubled off. The, the first time that you knew that everybody was furious at him, uh, go look at Josh Donaldson and what he said when he hit that scream at a shortstop and Ronald got doubled off. Now, Josh has been around forever. He knows darn good and well that even if Acuna had had a tiny lead, he was getting hosed on that. But he's over here, he's screaming at Acuna because he got doubled off after making that mistake. Uh, After the game, you get members of the Braves media, and you guys all know who I'm talking about. One specific guy who's very cranky and likes to argue with everybody while pretending like he had the right viewpoint all along, decided that he would go around to every member of the Braves and ask them not about the bullpen blowing six runs in an inning and two-thirds, not about Chris Martin going down injured, not about Marcakis looking at strike three at 89 miles an hour, belt high, right down the middle. He wanted to ask them all about Acuna and nonstop questions about how does it make you feel when you see a guy not hustle? Did he hurt your team? Did that one play shift the momentum? Nonstop. Because that's what types like him are looking for. Because that's easy clickbait articles, and it's guys that don't want to that don't want to write anything bad about a veteran player. So they're going to look for the glaring mistake. Um, and I was very disappointed in the way that the Braves handled it. Now, this is not to say that Acuna was innocent in the situation. Like, no, you you should be at least jogging. Like, you shouldn't be walking down the baseline. Even if he's jogging, he's probably at second. Um, but it's the optics of it. That's the problem. It's because you started walking because it didn't work out. It's the optics more than the situation of being on first base. And he's already been talked about it before. But, Doc, guess what? You and I talked about this, and when he got benched the first time, do you remember what I said? Tell me. That this net, that benching somebody for that literally never changes anything? Yeah. yeah. When everybody I mean, kept telling me, oh, it worked for Andrew, except it didn't work for Andrew, well, it didn't work for Acuna here. And I was super disappointed that everybody except for one player decided to go and talk to the media about this and answer that question to the media. The only player that gained my respect in that situation is the one guy that I have been hating on for his entire Atlanta tenure, Dansby Swanson. Yeah, and he basically just said, you know, anybody could get caught up in the moment there. And and he's right. And there is a lot of conjecture about the fact that Major League Baseball actually changed the ball with the playoffs back to the old ball. It's entirely possible that with the old ball, that that home run was long gone. And the fact that walking was not necessarily justified, but you could make the case that that ball would have would have gone out had it been the old ball. So um, if that is actually the case, then I think we're dealing with a, a much bigger conspiracy than than just somebody walking to first. Because that I mean, a team like the Braves, when it's, you've got all the different home run hitters, you know, 150 home runs or 140 home runs between the top four guys in the lineup, I mean, that's uh that's a lot that's like taking away our our favorite toy kind of and uh but as as it pertains to Acuña I mean it's just 
that's such a nasty situation. I was there at the game back in August when he got benched, and it was like a shockwave. Like, how are you going to sit Acuna? He's the guy. You know what I mean? It's like sitting Jordan in the middle of his prime. And uh, now the, the you start to see all these different articles. I mean, New York Post had something that was talking about how Acuna is ruining baseball. He's like one of the new faces of the game. He's not ruining baseball. I mean, the hustle thing, yeah, you want to see him hustle all the time, but like sometimes it just doesn't work like that. I mean, this is this is an offshoot of the let the kids play. The kids, they stare at their home runs. You know, it's just what happens. And they bat flip and they do all these things that anger all of the old heads and and like I don't know. I mean, what what does it matter? Like what is it what does it really really matter because okay, let's say that he had got a double in the first inning. In this particular instance, if he had gotten a double and he had moved over to third, Donaldson hit a screamer to short with one out. Though Acuna likes to get aggressive with his base running, and so if he had been had even a similar lead off of third, he would have been picked off over there too. So what does it matter? I mean, this is where it comes down to the guys behind him weren't hitting. There was no guarantee, as you saw in game four, that Acuna gets on with nobody out, then he's going to wind up coming around anyway, whether he's first, second, third, whatever. Like, the only run he scored in the entire series, he had to drive himself in. So it's a much bigger situation because the Braves lost that game and eventually wound up losing the series, but it wasn't on Acuna. It really wasn't. No, and that's my problem is it started this whole Acuna as a scapegoat thing. And it started with making him the scapegoat for game one instead of the blame going where it actually should have gone, which was Luke Jackson and Mark Melanson. Um, and instead, you've had people talking all series, micromanaging and microanalyzing Acuna, who, by the way, in game two, did not look like he was having a good time, wasn't hanging out with the rest of the guys. Nobody was really talking to him. And it, it's like that everybody kind of jumped on that instance as a way to kind of explain away the loss. It's like the own, his own team did it, too. As to point to him and be like, oh, he's the one that did it. Uh, he's he, uh, That's on him. If he just hustled, everything was going our way, um, which is stupid because you still would have had Melanson getting rocked. But my problem with that was, was not necessarily that people were pissed off about it. Like That is inexcusable, and you should be you should get annoyed about it. It's, it annoys me every time. Like That very much annoys me when somebody admires one that, that really isn't gone, even if it's not gone by a lot. Like if you hit a wall scraper at 397 and you're still in like if you're still haven't gotten to first base by the time it lands, like then, yeah, that's a little annoying because like, dude, you have no idea if that's actually gone or not. You hope it is, but hope doesn't carry much. Um, Unfortunately, the rest of the team decided they were going to jump on that plane and that became the talking point for the series. You talked about the national writers talking about Acuna ruining baseball. You know why that happened? Because everybody mentioned the fact that his own team started calling him out. And that's not just Freddie, that's Freddie, that's Ozzy, that was Snicker, that was uh, a lot of people that were calling him out for it. And sure, they should call him out for it in the locker room, not in front of the media, because the media's job is not to cover everything honestly. The media's job is to generate clicks and to generate views. So guess what? When you say, yeah, he should have hustled that, yeah, you, that's unacceptable, but that's not the reason that we lost the game. Guess what that headline is going to say? Freddie Freeman says Acuna lost the game. It's not going to mention that you said at the end of that, but that's not what cost us the game. That that's the whole point of it. So I thought it was very weak. I thought it was I thought it was very very weak that the Braves took that easy out on Acuna. The rest of that series and for the rest of the series, the Cardinals acting the way that they did. The Braves did not stick up for him once, and to me that was more depressing 
than the loss itself. Like Acuna got drilled in a 10-run game. And Flaherty essentially confirmed he did it on purpose. Mike Schilt in the locker room, if you listen to his post-game speech thing, confirmed that it was on purpose. And you did absolutely nothing. Like, I'm sorry, but for me, we got to have a talk. We got to have a talk. Yeah, that that was I mean the whole the whole situation with Carlos Martinez like even even after Acuña hit the the home run in game 1 uh, off Martinez and then he's throwing up and in and Acuña obviously not happy about the fact that he he's getting thrown up and in and then Yadi's like walking him down to first like basically saying you're not going to start anything here like like screw it, you Yadi. Yeah, I mean, I I hate Yadier Molina. I hate him so much. I don't hate anybody baseball players um, like a, quite like I hate Yadier Molina. Um, I just I, I hate him. I hate his guts. I hate everything about him. Uh, but like just the whole, it seems like the team kind of turned on Acuna from from the game one thing from the fact that yeah, I mean that everybody was just completely just kind of rolled over and took it by the time something like that happened, and they're just like, oh well. Whatever, it's not going to benefit us to go and fight them. Which, in, to a certain degree, yeah, okay, but like you gotta, enough's enough at a certain point. And when every single person in both clubhouses hates Ronald Acuna or is acting like he's, I mean, he was one of the few bright spots. He was the Dude. only bright spot. He was the best player on either team in both series, and and he was the best player on either team in the series. But my bigger problem is like. From game one onward, the Cardinals continuously were going after Acuna. Whether it's talking trash to him during an at-bat, whether it's flinging the bat at him in center field and doing the throat slash, whether it's coming in on him and trying to hit him and meaningless spots in the other games, it was constant. They The Cardinals picked Acuna as their guy to hate. And as an Atlanta fan, it's been a long time since we've had a player that other people can hate. Uh but the problem is the rest of the Braves just did not like they didn't respond. And to me, that is symptomatic of a problem that has run in Atlanta for a long, long time. It's like ever since Glavin hit Murph, like we've gotten to this point of, oh, don't ever hit anybody. Don't escalate. Be the bigger person. Uh, No. How about when somebody throws at you in a 10 run game? I'm sorry if that's me. And I'm not. I guess I'm not supposed to say this. I'm not supposed to. Uh, I'm not supposed to wish violence on people. Nah, if that's me and I'm in sticker spot and we're down 10 runs and you hit my player. You hit my best player just because you didn't like his bat flip. Um, guess what I'm doing now? I'm hitting I'm hitting Jack Flaherty. I'm hitting Yadi Molina. I'm hitting Paul Goldschmidt. I'm going to hit Tommy Edmond. I'm going to hit whoever I feel like, and I'm going to keep hitting people. If you keep tossing all those pitchers, big deal. They're going to miss the first five games of next year. Okay, but you're not going to do that. Like You're not, you're not going to be up 10 runs and hit my player. You want to talk about – everybody tries to talk about in the national media how the Cardinals are – oh, they're a t- – they're they're the team of baseball. They're a professional baseball team. That they're not at all. Like Yadi Molina is not some super professional catcher. One, he's a cheater. Two, he's the fun police unless it's his guy celebrating. Then everything's all fine and dandy. Like he gets pissed off at Acuna, but he's fine when Carlos Martinez wants to jump around and strut on the mound. Like don't don't give me that. That they just say that because that's one of the stupid talking points to distract from the fact that St. Louis is a horrific city. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the arch is cool, but aside from that, yeah. Um, and every everywhere you look, there's going to wind up being some some type of nonsense like this. Like the game is still really used to, to excuse me, the game is still really getting used to having guys with this type of loud personality. And and when you have that many loud personalities, 
um, they really start to conflict, and that's where that's where things start to get really really tense there. But yeah, I mean, like you said, Flaherty basically confirmed that he that he did it on purpose, and like even you know even if he didn't go out of his way to confirm it, it became became pretty clear. And you know, even for for as much as some of the you know the the announcers for the the series or Ron Darling, I don't even know who the other dude was, but he absolutely loves the Cardinals. Just loves to talk about how professional and how wonderful everything that they do is, from Yachty to Wainwright. I do like Wainwright, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you, and this you pair that with the fact that Acuna is suddenly like this mega villain, and it's like, oh well, he deserved it. You know, and, and next thing you know, all the announcers are acting like Keith Hernandez. And it, it's just it just kind of insult to injury at that point where it's like, y'all, it's 13 to one. Can we just I know we're not going to call the mercy rule because we can't exactly do that here. But like, can we just dispense with the with the nonsense? Let's just go ahead and get this over and done with. It's going to carry into next season. You, you know, there's going to be somebody's thrown at somebody next year. Like. Watch the Braves are going to go out. They're going to sign Marcelo Zuna in the offseason. Carlos Martinez is going to throw at him, who he's been on the same team with for the past couple of years, just because he's he's with the Braves now. So I don't know. It's just to me that's just that's just incredibly weak. Like it that drives me absolutely insane that you just let them punk you like that in a ten run game. Like I that makes me physically sick to my stomach. That to me was at that point that was the weakest. I think that might be the weakest moment in Braves history to me. Like, you're getting hit on purpose in a 10-run game. Not only did you not hit him, like, not only did you not retaliate, like, they didn't really say anything. Like, Acuna got pissed off, and that was, like, it. Yeah, and like I, like I said, they they just kind of, it seems like everybody in the clubhouse kind of turned on him, just in general, even though he was... He was one of the one of the few bright spots. He and uh, he and Dansby had, with his like fifteen hundred OPS. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and everybody's just like, oh well, you know, you're, you're not my boy anymore. You're not my boy right now. You deserved like, it. Uh, yeah, like I'm, uh, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. It's like every single guy in the Braves clubhouse is saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed at Acuna. And so when they, you know, and at that point though, you're not going to charge the mound. You're not going to have a dugout clearing incident because no matter what. The Braves still lose by twelve, you know. And like that—that that is why Schilt is a bitch. Yeah, and because he knew know. that they weren't going to charge them out and brawl it out. Like, he knew it wasn't going to happen in the playoffs. So what do we do now? We hate the Cardinals, and it's either that or pull for the Nationals. So I'll pull for the Nationals. I'll pull I'll for pull anybody for the, over the Cardinals. I mean, National League Baseball is basically dead to me until March. So. Like, I hope my I hope Mike Schilt gets hit with a 110 mile an hour foul ball in the in the stomach, and he's dancing around, screaming and squealing, and everybody's laughing at him, and as he's doing the truffle shuffle, trying to make that baseball mark go away. <laughs> well, you know, we will we will resume our feud with the Cardinals for next year, but. Uh, yeah, for now, I'm just throwing my support behind whoever wins the Houston Tampa series, and uh, and we'll right. just take it from there. This Go is Rays. it's uh, this is an unfortunate place to be in, man. Like I, uh, th- we're going to cover this in the second segment, but I mean, this team as we know it, like we've had two consecutive years with what seems like a really special team, uh, and a lot of these guys are going to be gone next year, and so it's currently architected. You know, it's not like the windows closing. I mean, there's still massive waves of prospects that are coming, and and uh, 
there's still plenty of reason to, to be optimistic for the future, but this one, it just stings right now. I mean, it's not even 24 hours old and, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't exactly know. Like I, I hadn't even fully unpacked my feelings about how I felt uh, about the entire thing until we started recording. And now we're 34 minutes into it. And I don't know if I feel any better. So, uh, I don't I'm know. Read a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna read a lot this off season for sure. I'm not feeling great. Uh, there is some interesting there. If if you're looking at this series, there are a lot of Braves players, probably more than you're thinking of, that might have had their last game as Atlanta Brave. We'll cover those coming up next here on the Platinum Sombrero. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, everybody. I am Doc Herbert. Before we get rolling for the second segment of TPS, episode number 84, just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Blue Chew. I don't know about you guys, but after witnessing the catastrophe that was Game 5 the NLDS, I'm feeling a little limp. And uh, there's no guarantee I'm going to be feeling virile anytime soon, so if the symptoms persist, I certainly am going to look into some Blue Chew. Blue Chew is a completely safe blue pill that you chew and makes it work twice as fast as regular pills. Cutting into the time that it takes to get ready for action. You can uh, cut into the time it takes to feel like you've got a 10-run lead in the first inning without having to do all of that pesky work. And once I look into this by going to bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and using the promo code armchair, I'd only have to spend $5 to cover the cost of shipping. The product itself is free. So after we record the second segment, I am going to bluechew.com to go from flaccid to made of steel in no time. That's blue chew dylan kind of alluded to this during the end of the first segment there's going to be a whole 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 lot of turnover coming here in 2019 actually i had known that there were going to be a couple of different guys that were going to wind up losing the team but if my numbers are correct i think we're looking at like 15 guys we're looking at 15 different guys that are not going to wind up uh, being on the team next year that's crazy, and you're looking at about $80 million coming off the books in those 15 guys. That's a lot. I mean, Donaldson, Keuchel, those are the big ones. Swarzak was making a decent amount of money, too. Got a couple guys with buyouts in there as well. Uh, so what do you say? Do we, do we go down the list? Do we start um, putting check marks and X's next to everybody's name to see what, what we think about coming back here, or what do you want to do here? Should we call it here's your sign or sign or no sign? Ooh, let's call it uh, sign or no sign. I like that. All right. Well, then, for the first time ever, let's play sign or no sign, and you at home, feel free to play along with us. Yes, always. We, we want to know everybody's thoughts on this. So we start with the, the biggest, uh, the highest AAV, the biggest name on this list? Yeah, let's just go right down this list the way you wrote it. All right. I'm too lazy to, to put them in any other order. <laughs> Fair enough. We don't want to wind up leaving anybody out. First name on the list is Josh Donaldson. Sign, absolutely. I, yeah, I think sign. Uh, even even for the fact that he kind of slowed down and during the during the second half, um, 
you know, if, if there can be a little bit more of a guarantee that he'll wind up getting some days off in there. They were really good about, about kind of rotating days off for him at the beginning. They were concerned about his heel, concerned with his calf. But towards the end of the season, it was the same it was for everybody else. So if there can be a little bit of a guarantee that he could wind up getting some time off, you know, this does raise the question, what do you do with Austin Riley? But we can have that conversation once the actual team and not just the esteemed uh, Platinum Sombrero team uh, makes the call about him. So we're well, we're in agreement with sign for J.D.? Uh, yeah, I mean, I as far as the Riley thing goes, like Riley's got to prove to me that he's worth letting somebody like Donaldson go, and Riley didn't prove that this year. So you can say that he's got the... He's got the opportunity. He's got the chance to be that, but until he shows me he's that, I'm I'm not in a wait and see mode. Like I'm well, in a, I'm I, in a I win think with, with with the Riley thing too. The fact that he can play some outfield, and um, there's a certain outfielder on this list that there might be an opening out there. So uh, he, it's not like he wouldn't have some type of home if they decide to bring Donaldson back. Right, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna crown him anything just because I think he's got a bright future. He's got to earn it. I'm I'm not here to be the Baltimore Orioles and just run with guys and let you get experience. No, I'm in it to win it. Second Fair player. Enough. Second player. Let's move on from that one. Dallas Keuchel. Yeah. Um, by the way, absolutely horrible series for Keuchel as well. Both starts were not good starts. I don't believe he got out of the fifth inning in either start. Um, sign or, or no sign? I'm going to go no sign. I think you can get comparable production from somebody for a little bit less because he... He'll probably get about a similar average annual value uh, that he got this year. So he got 13 million. Say he's going to go out looking for four for 52 or three for 39, somewhere around there. I think you could get comparable production for eight, nine million dollars from somebody else. So for me, that's a no sign. I'm going to say sign. They like what okay. he brought. He, they like what he brought to the the bullpen as far as the way he interacts with the players. He's a great teammate. Uh, they liked having him around the young guys as long as he stays around that $13 million mark. So that three for 39 is the one that I'm really looking at. Uh, as long as it's somewhere around there, I think it's a sign. He doesn't have to be the number one. That's going to be Soroka next year. But if you tell me that you're going to pencil Keichel in as your three or four, then we have, then we're having a different conversation. That's fair. And, and I don't have like a, a vehement no sign on him. I, I think that um, if they brought him back, I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed, but I think it would take a shift in the role to where if the Braves wind up going to the 2020 NLDS, NLCS, or whatever, then Keiko's not starting game one. Right. Now that That's also my thing. He's not he's not a game one starter. Right. Once upon a time, perhaps, but not now. Okay. Um, Chris Martin, sign or no sign? Sign. I think they love the fact that in a bullpen full of high-velocity guys that walk the world, they know Chris Martin throws both really, really hard and a ton of strikes. Martin doesn't walk people. That's a very rare commodity in bullpen these days. Uh, I think that they take a risk and sign a bullpen guy for about three years on Chris Martin. Yeah, same. I I would definitely make an attempt to re-sign him. For all of the reasons that that you previously (laughs) stated. I think he, what what did we say last week? He walked five guys all year. One guy is a brave, and that was on August 9th. Yeah, I mean, so that's like, yeah. we We saw Jesse Biddle. And we saw Shane Carl, and we saw how hard it is for guys um, to, to throw strikes sometimes. So that's a, that's a rare commodity. So and yes, Alex, we were, Alex saw firsthand why you don't count on having an entire bullpen of guys who've never done stuff before. So now that yeah. you have somebody with a track record that throws strikes, I don't know what the I don't know what the AAV is. 
maybe four or five. I don't. I don't. I. It's hard for me to tell what relievers should actually get paid. So I might offer. I might go as high as three and eighteen for Chris Martin. Which, as long as even if some of his velo goes down, as as long as he can avoid the walks, that's going to somebody who can be really serviceable for a really long time. I think he's only what, he's only thirty one, right? Thirty or thirty one. He's pretty young, yeah. So I'm listening. Next on the list is the uh, the skinny lefty Jerry Blevins. Uh, I'll go with no sign, but I he's another one that I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed when deployed properly. It's a good weapon. He's still, and he's got one of the best curveballs in all of baseball. Like, he really does. So, um, you know, uh, I'll say no sign for similar reasons for Keitel. I think you can wind up getting comparable production out of somebody else. But Blevins was only worth, like, so making, like, league minimum or, like, a million, million and a half, somewhere around there. It's not like he was a huge ding on the payroll. So, eh, whatever. I'm going to say sign just because I think you can get him super cheap. You know he's going to give you. And if they decide they want to move Newcomb back into the starting rotation, which I think he will get a shot back in the rotation, at least that gives you a lefty that you know what to expect. And because it's not going to cost you anything. That's that's yeah. the only reason I'm saying sign. And I'm not yeah. even saying sign like he's going to be on the big league roster all year. Like He's a sign that could get sent down to AAA a few times. Yeah, I mean, and he he's got got enough time to where he can refuse some type of outright assignment. I think uh, the their service time considerations. And by in the there, way, but. I think it's more because they don't really have any lefties that are like kicking down the door. Right. Yeah. Like even even guys like Minter who were who were good last year. I mean, Minter can go away could, forever. Yeah, I mean, unless he goes and he figures something out, you know, and you could make the case that he was pitching through shoulder ailment all, all season long, but. You know, he how old is Mitchell? Like twenty six? Like you know, he yeah, he's he's young enough to, to where it's like if if that's gonna be some type of long term concern, then you go with a guy who's got the rubber arm, even if he's not even if he's not throwing gas up there. So I I like Blevins as a personality fit for the clubhouse as well. He's always seems like a really good interview, pretty good jovial guy. So when it comes to you know, all of the these fifteen guys that are going out there, you have to be careful about balancing new personalities and somebody who's pretty well-versed in how some of the main guys operate. That, that is a weapon, too. So, did I just talk myself into wanting to sign Jerry Blevins? I did not see that coming. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> All right. So, now we're going two signs. Uh, what about Josh Tomlin? I'm going to say no sign for me, just because there's no way on earth that he replicates the the few home runs he gave up this season. It's not happening again, and Snit is like if Snit's still the manager, it's the Sam Freeman situation. Can Josh Tomlin work for this team? Sure, um, but not in the role that Snicker will use him in. Yeah, I mean, and and we with Chris Martin, we talked about the walks. Tomlin didn't walk anybody. Like, and that that's the most important thing for for a guy like this. If you're coming in in long relief, the team is already hamstrung somewhat. Um, so you need somebody that's going to make guys earn it instead of just coming in and, oh, we're down 8-1, to one, and now here comes Josh Tomlin, and oops, we're down 12-1. to one. So you got you got to make those guys earn it. But even for, for not making too much, he kind of was this year to Anibal Sanchez, you know, late spring training addition, everybody going, what is this guy really going to help? And he actually did. He came in. He did his job. He did a really good job of his job this year so but he's josh Tomlin is is not um he's not like a wonderful 
wonderful pitcher by any means. And some and somebody like a failed starter who had to convert to long relief, those guys are kind of a dime a dozen. So um, I do like the fact that he doesn't walk anybody, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he never throws an, if he never throws another pitch in Atlanta again. No, and, and you're right. He had, he did do a really good job this season. It's just that's that's not Josh Tomlin. He's a guy that traditionally gives up a ton of home runs because he only throws about 87 miles an hour. Like for me, that's that's not what I want on my club. Um, right. Next on the list, Adani Echeverria. I am signed. I am very much signed with Adani Echeverria. He's getting. He's kind of. Uh, he's like a. Camargo backup just in case things go wrong and I don't expect him to hit next year the way that he has hit in Atlanta this year I think that it would wind up returning to kind of how he was when he was with with the Mets and for all the time that he spent with the Marlins um but I I like the the positional versatility even even before Howie Kendrick hit the grand slam against the Dodgers in the playoffs. I've been thinking like, as far as getting like a utility guy who can play any number of positions, Kendrick is kind of like my pipe dream for being the Braves Camargo next year. But he's, he has made himself a lot of money next year. And if whether or not the, the 12 at bat sample size that we saw from Camargo in September will point to anything, you know, you need to have guys that, that can, play multiple positions and, and come up and run into one every once in a while. And Hedgeberry has done a really, really good job. I think that uh, it's a good blend with him and Ozzie, him and Ronald. I think that he's a good clubhouse fit for those guys. So I am saying sign. Do you sign or do you no sign? This one is very interesting to me. Um, you're right. You're, you shouldn't expect him to, to offensively be much at all. Uh, Traditionally, he's basically no bat, but he's a really good glove, but he's getting older. And before really playing for the Braves kind of upped his his defensive and offensive game. Like his defensive game wasn't good for the last couple of seasons, like range-wise, until coming to Atlanta. Now, when he came here, all of a sudden he was a better defender than Dansby if you're looking just straight off of defensive metrics, which are notoriously finicky for like one year and for any small sample size. Um, I'm going to say... This is one that I think is 50-50. I think if they were to sign, it'll be a very, very late sign because I don't think anybody's going to be kicking down his door to sign him. Um, I wish I could punt. I'm going to say no sign because I think the Braves will find something better in the offseason as far as depth. Which And th- that that comes back to what I was saying about Josh Tomlin, like finding a backup utility infielder who can who can play any number of positions on, on the infield. Remember, not- Charlie's coming back next year as well, and so is Camargo. So with, with that said, I think they'll find – I think they can find somebody else who can be just a glove as well. I think they can find something. Yeah, we'll, we'll give Paul Janish a call and see what he's up to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how about Darren O'Day? No sign. No sign. No sign. You can't he- trust him to be healthy. That's – yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he didn't put a lot of mileage on his arm this year. I think I'm probably somewhat split. I'm just not quite as uh, like you had you had that one uh, cocked and ready to go. You know, I think that finding veteran guys in in the bullpen. You know, as you saw this year, a lot of guys that they decided to roll with were super young, super inexperienced. O'Day, even with the hamstring injury and even with the forearm injury, he's been around the block, and I, I think that he would he would be worth looking into because, you know, fresh arm doesn't, doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for you when, you know, everybody gets an off season, but he basically had 
the season as, as an off season up until the last couple weeks. So wouldn't hate it, but I wouldn't count on them, them turning to him for anything meaningful for next year. I ain't paying that guy any money. How much would you pay Anthony Swarzak to come back? Uh, zero dollars and zero cents. Zero. He was he was one of the few definitive no's that that I have on here. And even for as good as he was for the for the first couple of weeks when he came over from Seattle, God, he was so good. And we needed him so bad to come in and just be a stabilizing force. It was like right after we signed Jerry Blevins and we brought in Anthony Swarzak and we're looking around going, these are the guys. <laughs> Anthony Swarzak, Jerry Blevins, and Luke Jackson are holding our bullpen together right now. A couple weeks there, a couple months ago, and uh, but yeah, he when he imploded, he imploded hard. Yeah, man. Swarzak is terrible. He's been terrible for a long time. He's only got one year where he's actually been worth anything for a full season. So no sign for me. Yeah. What no about uh, what about Matt Joyce? I don't. Think they're going to bring him back because uh, I think that he did enough to where he could probably, even if it's a team that's still struggling, Marlins, Orioles, Tigers, somewhere like that, he could probably find a starting job somewhere. I think he could, even though you know he he had a pretty bad 2018, so it explains why he got passed around uh, to a couple different teams. He was with three different teams in spring training, and then he finally wound up having a home here. But I think that he could find something now based on the strength of what he showed as a starter in the limited time when Marquecas was out. So uh, I'm going to say no sign just because, uh, yeah, I think that he could go somewhere else. What about you? I'm going to say sign. Not only am I going to say sign, I think he's going to be a full platoon mate. Really? So I think that'll be what puts it over the top because Matt Joyce, very, very good against right-handed pitching. Wasn't horrific against lefties until the end of the year, but against righties was very, very solid. Uh, I think they re-signed him. I think you could see him get something like 2 or $3 million. So do you platoon him with a guy like Duvall? Duvall, Riley, anybody like that. Hmm. You know, and there, there are considerations, too. I know that, that Pache and Waters aren't going to wind up coming up to start the year. At least I wouldn't assume so. Well, Pache, Pache I have been told... Uh, we'll have every opportunity to make the squad out of spring training because, as I have been told a couple times, uh, it is World Series or bust next year. And Pache definitely over over Waters would would get the nod on that. I know that what Drew did was was great last year, but I, I want to see something where he's not riding like a three eighty Babbitt for and like a thirty eight percent K rate. Yeah, for like two consecutive years, he's been doing this. And maybe, maybe he's one of those guys like Freddie where the Babbitt is just naturally high or something like Votto. But um, the outfield spots, the way that they configure it, like even if Pache doesn't make the opening day lineup, I think that you have to account for the fact that he's coming up at some point. So, you know, I, I joked in the first part about signing Marcelo Zuna. Well, if you're going to wind up doing that long turn, you, you know that Acuna is going to wind up locking down one of those spots. If Enciarte is healthy, he's going to be out there too. And so if you wind up bringing in a guy like Ozuna or you bring back a guy like Matt Joyce and platoon him with Adam Duvall, then you know you you don't necessarily worry about blocking guys, but it's it's definitely a consideration too when you start looking at having a crowded outfield before you have the opportunity to make room for some of these guys that are going to be part of the bigger future. So... Um, and I think with Drew, me. by the way, I think with Drew, they also want to see him start to develop some of the over-the-fence power before they officially call him up. I think that's probably the one main thing that he's missing from his game right now is the actual home run ability. And he's still 
20, right? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. He's still super young. He's still growing into his body, and he's going right. to develop that power. He's got the swing <laughs> for it. It's just as of right now, their line drives. He doesn't have quite the launch on them that they're looking for. And it's because he doesn't have his man body yet. Once he starts to fill out a little bit more, and then a lot of these hits start, you know, getting lifted enough to go out, you'll see him come up in a hurry. Because I really do think Drew's going to be a very fast mover. I think Drew will be up in the majors next year. I just don't think he's. Uh, I don't think they consider him on the same as Pache right now. Nor, nor should they. But, it, but what he's doing, he's certainly tracking in the right direction. Uh, I will be as I'm sure you will be too, be watching very, very closely to what goes on with them and to see how they architect the outfield. Yeah, he better debut in Atlanta. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I don't think that he's going to wind up uh, debuting anywhere else. So uh, at least I hope not. It's, it's, we got a long offseason ahead of us. But to bring us back to sign or no sign, this is somebody that I was very passionate about the Braves going out and getting in the offseason. They added him midseason. Francisco Cervelli, Dylan Short, sign or no sign? Is this what I want or what I think is going to happen? No, you can discuss both. Okay, well, I want to sign him because I like Francisco Cervelli. I'm going to say no sign because I think that the Braves are going to go after Yasmani Grandal, uh, and I don't think they're going to carry three catchers all year. So I want them to sign Cervelli and to cut loose another guy that will be on this list. But um, I think they're gonna, I think it's going to be a no sign, unfortunately. I think so too. And I, think I think it's think telling, that, you know, by the way. I think it's telling that he didn't get used in the playoffs. Well, I think that Cervelli wound up getting used more than Flowers. I think that's a pinch hitter. I mean, pretty pretty much um, the pretty pretty much equal. Flowers went one for one <laughs> in LDS, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I I think that with Cervelli, you have to be mindful of the concussion stuff, even if it didn't befall him too much while he was in Atlanta. That's that's a real concern for him. And, you know, catcher is an ugly position to play. It's like being a lineman. And uh, you take a lot of abuse back there. And, and for somebody that's already dealing with something like that, I think it's a bunch. Now, we're going to get to Tyler Flowers and we're going to get to Brian McCann. But I think it's interesting that as it stands right now, you know, Cervelli has the, has the opportunity to step into a job. I love the idea of getting Yasmani Grandal, though. There's a mutual option between him and Milwaukee. I can't see after the year he's had. I can't see him taking, um, taking that extra year with Milwaukee. I think he could go and cash in. Big. He can make himself some real money. So, um, Braves are going to need a catcher there, and, and I don't think that Cervelli is necessarily going to want to just take the back seat to whoever. I think that wherever he goes, he's going to want to actually play. So, uh, no sign. No sign for me. All right, here we go with the one that this is going to make David very angry, uh, our friend, the Braves, David. Um, Julio Tehran, sign or no sign? Can I ask you the same question you just asked? What do I want them to do versus what do I think <laughs> they'll do? Sure. Um, man, it says a lot about the fact that he didn't make the NLDS roster, and even when he did, they he got used in garbage time for both. Um, I, I think if Chris Martin ever gets hurt, the whole series works out differently, partially due to the fact, you know, it, everybody's role was forced to change, including Julio, who went from being on vacation to going back in and being dropped into the 10th inning of game four. Now, granted, it's not on Julio the fact that, you know, the Braves should have won that game and he never should have been used at all in the series. That's not necessarily on him. You know, for a four or a five, I think that he's perfectly serviceable, serviceable but. $12 million for what Julio gave you for the last month of the season. That's a bunch. Now, if he, and there's no guarantee about the fact that he's going to pitch like May through 
August the 5th Julio as opposed to March and April and September Julio. You know, that's the most frustrating thing about him is that you never know which Julio you're going to wind up getting, like from start to start a lot of times. And I don't think that they're going to be anxious to go out and give Julio $12 million. Now, would I be surprised if they declined his option and then tried to negotiate something for cheaper? Yeah, but Julio turned off for $12 million. That's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one for me. So I'm actually going to say no sign. And ooh, I'm going to be sick, dude. I can't believe I just <laughs> said that. That makes me so sad. What about you? Sorry, David. No sign. I think the Braves are starting to get a little bit of a logjam as far as pitchers. I know that the three young guys they tried this past year didn't really grab the situation like they were hoping, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to get an opportunity again this year. I think the Braves are going to make a concerted effort to start to kind of get some of these guys up here, whether that's Ian Anderson, who still needs a little bit of time or what. I think Sean Newcomb will will be given another spot in the rotation. He'll be given another shot there, too. So uh, I think Julio has thrown his last pitch for Atlanta. Somebody will sign him. I guess it'll be a team like the Royals uh, who want somebody who can eat innings and and be good for a locker room and a clubhouse. So uh, thank you, Julio, for what you've done. But as of this point, it's done. He's he's gone. Um, Just trying to speed this along. I'm going to give you two here. Billy Hamilton and then Tyler Flowers. Uh, Billy Hamilton, no sign. He's got a million dollar buyout, and if they don't take it, then I think he's owed seven and a half million dollars next year, which is that's a that's a bad contract. Uh, yeah, um, he got cut from the Reds and given a pay raise by the Royals. Yeah, I mean that's that's dream right there. Date um, more, baby. Yeah, right. GM, DM. So I, I don't think that they're going to wind up bringing him back. It's a similar thing to what I said about Julio. Like maybe you can kind of say like, all right, let's negotiate something else. But like they'll just take the million dollar buyout on that. Tyler Flowers, they really have prioritized defense and framing be damned. Flowers, the pass balls, everything, whether he had the catcher yips or whatever. That's a two million dollar buyout versus six million dollar salary. I don't think they bring him back. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Um, so what about you on those two? Well, I want this to be a no sign. Uh, I do not want Tyler Flowers back. Uh, you can tell me about his framing all you want, but that's he's literally a specialist. It's literally one thing that he does, and that is frame pitches. He doesn't catch pitches well. He doesn't call games well. He doesn't throw out runners well. Um, thanks for the year in 2018 that he had. It was really, really strong. Cool. Um but no, I would say no sign. Now, I think that they are going to because they know they can count on him to steal some strikes. Um, I think if he would come back as a definitive backup to, like, say, Yasmani Grandal. But for me and my money, see you bye. Fair enough. Fair enough. Where are you at on Billy Hamilton? Uh, Billy Hamilton, I'm going to agree. That's, that's a no sign. That's the easiest no sign on this list. All right. I don't know, dude. I think Swarzak was a pretty. <laughs> Swarzak ain't going to be making seven and a half million dollars if you if you don't cut him. That's true. Nothing like a eight million dollar bench piece. Eight million so dollar pinch runner. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he wasn't supposed to wind up hitting, but he wound up playing. He wound up hitting and, and playing a lot more defense. And Manager I of the year. Yeah, I mean, but you also you have. Ender coming back next year too, which basically they got Billy Hamilton to replace Ender and Ciarte. So, right. All right, this one we're about to infuriate a whole lot of people. Two million dollar buyout for Nick Markakis. Do you sign 
or do you know sign? I've signed it like right now. Like, here you go. Get out of here. Uh, I don't need him batting. And it's not necessarily. Let me let me clarify. It's not that I don't think Nick would be a decent fourth outfielder. I do. I think he'd be fine as a fourth outfielder if that were his role. But you can't pair him and Snit together because Snit's in love with Nick Markakis, and he'll start every day in a corner outfield slot, and he'll bat fifth every day, and it won't matter that he's hitting 220, and it won't matter that he's hitting under 100 versus lefties, and it won't matter that he has seven home run power, and it won't matter that he has a noodle of an arm and has a 10-year-long wind-up before letting go of the ball. Snit will stick with him every day. So, no, take that bullet out of that gun. Take that... Put that to pasture. Goodbye. Sorry, Nick Marcakis. And no, playing for five years does not make you a Braves Hall of Famer, Chip. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, you can keep going if you want to. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you here. and I, I, I don't hate Nick Marcakis, man, but like when he got re-signed this past offseason, and I was all on the sign Bryce Harper train and you know, people can do with that piece of information whatever they like. I, I don't care. I, I still wish. Uh, I still wish that we would have had if we if you tell me that we would have had Bryce Harper instead of Nick Markakis for this entire season, you'd be an idiot to not take that. Right. I mean, even if people people hate him as a dude, but like he's still he put up a very Bryce Harper esque season. But um, but so the Braves went out and they they re-signed Markakis, and yeah, it was for a lot cheaper than what he made from fifteen to eighteen. But I mean. I have, and this is new, but like I have this thing where it's like every time I saw him after he came back from injury, it just made me mad. He didn't do anything. It's not that he sucked. It's not, it's not nothing to do with that. I just, the whole time I'm looking at him like just with a grimace on my face. And I'm like, I can't explain it, dude. I don't ever want to see him in a Braves uniform again. I appreciate every single thing he did. He stuck through some really lean times, but man. The divide, just the the divide in the fan base between Nick Markakis is a Braves Hall of Famer versus Nick Markakis is trash. I mean, neither of those things are necessarily true. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's just get this out in the open. If you think Nick Markakis is Braves Hall of Famer, you're an idiot. I mean, yeah, there's, and I I know that one of our, um, we will refer to them as one of our brother podcasts has, has made a very very large deal and in some cases made a living on talking about how Nick Markakis is the greatest Braves baseball player that ever lived. Um, you know, which kind of, honestly, I, I think that the fact that they were so, so cavalier, their love for him and people got on the bus, they, they kind of helped to drive that train there. Um, you know, and everybody's got their favorite player, but I don't know. I just, they can just do better, you know, and it's not that, that Nick is bad. But he's also really not that good anymore. Like the At whole anything. thing about, about him being a good hitter, like it starts to erode after a little bit, and that's okay. Like I'm older than Nick Markakis. He's I had a good. It. He's had a good run. Yeah. So. And that, and that's at a certain point it just has to be okay. But if I'm willing to part with Julio Tehran, I'm most assuredly willing to part with Nick Markakis. Sure, he so. he can go be a professional hitter for for Baltimore. Right, and and no, like I said, no actual ill will the fact that i'm looking at him like i want to um like i hate his guts over the past month or so that that has nothing to do with him that's that's all on me so let's um let's just kind of hope that that they would be willing to look at somebody like an ozuna or somebody that's going to give you more on-field production i think you can take a hit on the clubhouse stuff to get more on-field production 
Because even if, even if you love the guy, he just didn't have it after like May. No, and you just can't trust that he'd be used in the true fourth outfielder role. That's the thing right. for me. If he's yeah. here, he's going to start, and that's the problem. So you either yeah. get rid of Snit or you get rid of Marquecas. So take your pick for you guys who are Marquecas fans. Uh, and by the way, I should let you know, any other manager probably going to sit him. Uh, yeah. We don't have to mention the last name, but I do want to talk about Brian McCann, who retired after that debacle of a game yesterday. Uh, but we should talk about Hall of Fame case. Does Brian McCann make the Hall of Fame, in your opinion? 300 homers, been a really good catcher for a really long time, and now with the advent of the new structure of the framing metric, that's a good case. I, You know, I mean, he, when you look at catcher war, there he is 10th all time. I mean, he's behind, like, Johnny Bench, Gary Carter, Pudge Rodriguez, Colton Fisk, Yogi Berra, Mike Piazza. I mean, these are, like, legendary names. And he's ahead of Ted Simmons. He's ahead of Yadi Molina. Buster Posey, um, Buck Ewing. I mean, there, there's a, a ton. There's a ton of names that he is like. He's an elite company, and based on the fact that he was well rounded to where he was be able to do it as a hitter and as a defender, like and and catcher defense. There's a lot that goes into it, and don't be fooled by the fact that his sprint speed was like ten feet per second during this season. I mean, at one point he was a little more agile, as I noted to noted today on Twitter, uh, 25 stolen bases over the course of his career, which for him, it seems like a lot, but he had five yeah. in 2010. Really? Yeah. I just don't, I guess I don't remember that, but you're looking at 282 home runs, uh, 1018 runs batted in 54.5 F war over the course of his career hit 262, 337, 452, the 110 weighted runs created plus. So he, he played above league average for his entire career on offense. And he got a title while he was with Houston. And he was one of those guys that everybody talked so glowingly about, like he kind of checks all the boxes. So I don't think he's first ballot by any means. And maybe he's a guy that winds up getting in on the, the veterans committee. He, he might wind up having a similar arc to somebody like Dale Murphy. You know what I mean? Somebody that everybody's like, how is this not the case? But if people are talking about Yachty going in the Hall of Fame, which a lot of people are, then you definitely have to look at McCann, too. Oh, most I, I agree. I think he is a Hall of Famer, and I think I do think he's benefited from the new weighted system because he does have now he's got like four or five seasons over six war. Um, but for a long time in the game, Brian McCann was either the number one or number two catcher in baseball, depending on how you felt about Joe Maurer. Uh, and he he lasted longer than Joe Maurer. He won a title. At times, he was the big hitter. He's got like a fifteen percent strikeout rate for his career, so and like an eleven percent walk rate. I I this is also kind of hard because this one could, I I remember watching Brian when I was little, and he was still hitting or he was still playing at East Cobb. Um, I agree. I think he gets in. Um, I, I don't think it's first ballot. I don't think he's got quite the standout numbers. Usually you look to see a war of at least 55 before you say somebody has a home run case. But if they were ever going to stretch it down for somebody, I'd rather be for somebody like Brian McCann than somebody like Omar Vizquel. Yeah, and and there's there's no shame in being the hall of very good. And and that might ultimately wind up wind up where, where he kind of kind of is but you know 10 seasons of more than 20 home runs i mean braves hall of fame for sure yeah i mean that's because he he was consistent like he he kind of petered out the last couple years but that's that's what happens when you got old knees you know that's a lot of squatting a lot of uh a lot of up and down so he's the 
his bottom half has got to be just like he's uh, above the waist. He's probably like 35, 36 below the waist. He's like 70 years old. You know what I mean? He probably needs an ice bath literally after a day of walking upstairs. Right. And, and it's such a shame that this team wasn't able to go deeper uh, because, you know, he came back to win a world series with this team. And I think that the, the impact that he made is very long lasting and, and it was so nice to see him back. I mean, that was one of the, the this past off season was, was pretty underwhelming in, in a lot of different areas. But I remember the afternoon seeing that Donaldson signed and then like 20 minutes later, it broke that they brought McCann back. And I was, um, I was baseball happy about Donaldson, but I was like personal happy when they brought back McCann where it's like, Oh my God, what a great feel good story. We all, you know, remember, you know, he went to, um, Duluth High School, you know, I, I was in Gwinnett County too, so uh, like I knew about him even before before he became anybody, and like it's he's got a job with this organization whenever he wants it. I know that he wants to go be a dad and play with his kids and and watch them grow up and everything, and certainly certainly do that by all means. But I, but I think that if he wanted to come back as a catching coach or or just a special advisor to the team or something like that, I think that this organization will do whatever. He wants. I would agree. Now, for those of you that have been playing along with us, now it's time for us to get serious with this final thing. Um, everybody has heard by now. Last night was something very different for the Braves as the foam Tomahawks were not in everybody's seat. Uh, Ryan Helsley, the pitcher for the Cardinals, whose mother is full blood Cherokee, uh, mentioned somebody had asked him the question after game two about how he felt about the chop. Uh, he said he thought it was disrespectful, kind of gave his thoughts on it. And I wouldn't get super pissed at Helsley. Uh, he was asked a question. like He didn't bring it up organically. Somebody asked him about it, and he answered honestly. Uh, and the Braves kind of took it to heart. So no tomahawks, no playing the chop. Uh, Doc, what are your thoughts on the chop, and do you care if it's gone or not? Uh, I mean, it's kind of seemed outdated for a little bit it's um you know we can debate the merits of 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 cultural appropriation whatever whatever with with all of that but i mean it seems like in recent years and correct me if i'm wrong that it has become like you know we it's tied at zero in the second inning and we got a two ball count and we're doing the chop like it's not even like it's reserved for 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 moments like it's a little overplayed yeah, it's it's just like, oh my god, you guys. And and like it was cool. You know, I went to game two. It's cool to show up and there and there's tomahawks everywhere and but like we are in the um the era of human rights. Or it's like, you know, there's the industrial revolution and the technological revolution. We were in the human rights revolution right now. And and there's there's nothing wrong with that. And and you know, you do have to kind of um well, you, you have to you have to be respectful of something like that. And and whether or not this was like gamesmanship on Helsley's part where he's like, you know, what what it, or if it's just that he's just sitting there while it's happening going, man, this really is just so disrespectful. You know, I don't know. I haven't talked to Ryan Helsley. I, I don't know. But it, it does. In order to be a good. A representative like the Braves are in the public eye. This is not like this is the first time this has ever come up, you know, and. Uh, just the timing, the timing of it is the weirdest thing because it's like, okay, like I said, it's getting overplayed and it's getting, it's getting, um, used too much, but like 
going into game five of the NLDS where it's like everybody's expecting to show up and make a lot of noise. Like you look back at the, the clip of Acuna hitting the Grand Slam in 2018 against the Dodgers. It just started organically. The crowd is just doing the chop in the background and it's deafening. And that is almost more impactful, I think, than pumping it through the PA. But like, so it comes down to this year and it's like a completely neutered stadium. You know, if you do it after the NLDS, if you do it after the season, then it seems to make a little bit more sense. Because the truth is, it was only a matter of time before they wound up taking it away. And, and possibly rightfully so. It is, it is a weird form of cultural appropriation. But just the timing, it was almost like, uh, I don't know. It just seems so weird that they're just in the middle of a series and they're like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to just take it away right now. That, that's, that was my weirdest thing. I, I don't care beyond, you know, 2020, whatever. I don't care. But I will say this, uh, when I, I got home yesterday afternoon, my, my neighbor was, was leaving his house and we were screaming back and forth from our driveways about how the game was going to go and everything. And that their uh, kid is like seven months old or something. I still had my tomahawk in my car from game two and I went and grabbed it and I ran across the street. I was like, Hey, in case you guys, you know, I've, I've got a foam tomahawk in my house. If you want to, um, give this to your little guy and teach him how to chop or whatever. And I also did this while thinking, well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, there's plenty of opportunities to go get a foam tomahawk. That was like the last one that I had. It was like a relic that I gave away. So, um, if I'd known, I probably would have held on to it, but that's, that's very selfish of me. So anyway, I just talked a lot. Dylan, tell me your thoughts. It's a little bit difficult. So like my wife is an average, average chopper. She's very upset. She was very sad uh, about the chop. Uh, I'm more along the lines of, I'm not super big on how the last two years, everybody kind of looks for things to be offended about. Like, Nobody had problems with, and and you can talk about. There have always been, there have always been people who have had problems with the chop. Always going back into the nineties, there have been people that have had problems with it. Um, but it just seems like the last two years, it's become like an actual talking point. And you called this the civil rights era. I don't agree. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I think this is an era where everybody wants to stand for something. Uh, I I think philosophically, I think every generation um, sets themselves tries to think that or tries to tries to invent a hurdle to overcome uh, a, a big target. So like the boomers, you've got, uh, was it World War or Vietnam War for the boomers? Um, you've got World War One and Two for, for those guys. You've got, uh, for our parents, you, you've got the Cold War. You've got uh, civil rights. And then you've got our generation um, who really doesn't have anything. Like it's pretty easy for our generation. So they like to kind of our generation, I guess the one directly under us, the Gen Z guys too. Uh, so they like to kind of create controversy to, to make themselves feel like they matter in the scheme of history a little bit more. So I think that's how you get into things like cancel culture um, and, and the offense being rabid everywhere. Now, this is not to say that that's what Ryan Helsley feels. Uh, Ryan Helsley has a very unique position as his mother is full-blood Cherokee, uh, and he is a member of the Cherokee Nation. So I'm not going to tell him how he should feel, obviously. Um, my only question would be, uh, I would expect to see Helsley say something about the, the headline in St. Louis, talking about Brave Scalped. Um, I would expect to hear him say something on that. I would need him to be consistent. As far as a Braves fan, it's not going to stop the chop. 
uh, as a matter of fact, I think it's better when it's organic anyway, when it's the crowd doing it and not the music. Um, it, it didn't stop Florida State from doing it, and I guess the Seminole Tribe is perfectly fine with Florida State doing it, um, whatever. But as far as them changing, it is a big change. There's going to be a lot of people who are upset about it. In the long run, ultimately, I don't think it matters, but I don't think this is something that you can just say, well, we're going to tone it down. Because if you stop doing it for one person, you're going to have to stop doing it total because now you've already admitted that you think it's wrong. So I, I think that um, you'll see the chop phased out. I think that's. I think they were already doing that, which is why they were calling things like the eye chop instead of the tomahawk chop. I think this has already been in the works for a few years, and it's just going to kind of expedite the process. Um, not sure where. I'm not sure where they'll go from here because um, it's going to open up a lot of questions. And for a lot of people, change is not a good thing. We'll see what happens. Is it going to stop me from going to Braves games and being a Braves fan? No. Um, is it? Is it kind of sad? Yeah, a little bit. It, it kind of feels like I'm losing something just from my childhood. Like just you know, one of those nostalgia things. I feel like I'm losing, but uh, ultimately, I don't think it's going to be a factor as far as games or anything. I don't think anybody saw the chop and got scared. So uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I mean, and you also, you look at what the Cleveland Indians are doing, like phasing out the chief Wahoo logo, like just calling your team, the Indians, you know, that's one thing I'm hoping. One thing I will say is I hope that this means that the feather uniforms become our full-time unis again. If they, if that happens, I'll send Ryan Helsley a thank you gift. Right. Yeah. And, and there, there's going to be, um, there would be cause for like a massive rebrand if, if they're going to wind up uh, removing, uh, all uh, images of the, the tomahawk. I don't know how far they're planning on taking it. I mean, this this just came out yesterday that they were going to stop doing this. So um, there there could really be something here. There could be a rebranding. I don't think they're going to like change the name of the team. There's only one professional sports team that probably needs to go out of their way to change the name of their team, and it's not a baseball team. But yeah, like teams teams are getting more um, aware of this. Like I said, the Indians are phasing out the Chief Wahoo because I mean there are some people that. It's not all just people looking up in arms, looking for something to get mad about. In some cases where it's like, okay, you got a point about that. You know what I mean? So some of, some of it is, is certainly founded, but uh, it is, it is going to be a little strange, you know, going in and, you know, a moment that would actually call for, for the job in the past and just be like, man, it's really quiet in here. So, but now we'll get to see how the other 29 teams do it. It'll be interesting now. Unfortunately, we do. Uh, actually, I thought this is a lot longer of an episode than we thought it was going to do. Um, I've got some other things that I've got to do, so we're going to have to leave this with you guys here uh, for this week. Uh, just know I'm working on uh, bringing on somebody for next week. We'll see how it goes. If not, I will not be in the state of Georgia next week. I will be on vacation. Uh, so, Doc, you and I are going to have to figure out what we're going to do. But for those of you out there, I feel your pain. Just know I'm going to be on a beach somewhere and I won't be enjoying it because I'll be thinking about the postseason and how I could be watching the Braves playing the Nationals and getting ready to go to the World Series. But for those of you that made it through this episode, I know you're hurting. We're hurting too. Thank you guys for listening to us as always. Um, Good season, I guess. Doc, you and I never really gave our thoughts on whether we (laughs) thought the season was a success or a failure. I will leave you with this. I think the season was a failure. That's just me. If you feel that it was a success with just a bad ending, good for you. You're better people than I am. We will be back. We will be with you all offseason right here on the Platinum Sombrero. So thank you guys so much. And we will be back next week.
Thanks, bye.